Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstenner. We've got a, a show for you today that is geared towards this weekend's card. Cynthia Calvillo versus Jessica I in the main event. We'll have both of them on the show to discuss, as well as Charles Jordan, the lone Canadian on the show, a real up-and-comer in the sport. Uh, he's about a 2-1 to underdog this weekend against Andre Feely, but uh, he was about that against Duho Choi and managed to get it done when he went to Korea to face him. So we'll see what Charles Jordan can do this time around against the very game Andre Tachifili. But first I want to discuss a concept that I brought up on social media regarding this particular fight card. Now, you know, I don't need to tell you that this card is not exactly the nicest looking card on paper, especially for a Saturday night fight night. Not the nicest look. So I'm going to get that out of the way first because a lot of people have said, oh, well, this isn't a great fight card, blah, blah, blah. Great. Yeah, it's it's not up to the, the caliber of a typical Saturday night fight night, but this is an atypical circumstance for this particular fight night because, of course, we're in the midst of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and the amount of individuals that are available to compete have to be pretty much limited to those stateside. I know Charles Jordan was able to make the trip from Canada, and they're, they're starting to figure out ways to bring some folks from other countries in to compete in the UFC at the uh, Apex in Las Vegas. Uh, and we do have the so-called Fight Island, which has now uh, been revealed to be on Yaz Island in the in uh, Abu Dhabi. We'll get to that a little bit later on. But uh, just take a look at the makeup of this card. So you got Cynthia Calvillo versus Jessica I. you got Roberson versus Vittori. Mirab Dvalishvili versus Ray Borg. That's a great fight. Uh, Andre Feely against Charles Jordan, Jordan Espinoza against Mark De La Rosa, and then uh, Maria Agapova against Hannah Cyphers, Charles Rosa against Kevin Aguilar, Gina Mazzani against Julia Avila. So these aren't the greatest names on paper. But what I, I do think the UFC should look to do, once everything gets back to normal, take five of these fights, put them on a Wednesday, and come up with a new name. Maybe it's the UFC Apex Fights. Something along those lines. There's still UFC fights, still professional fights. With a good main event. You know, like again, Calvillo versus I. You know, it's not a great main event by any means. But an event that a main event that has some sort of bearing on one of the divisions. With ranked fighters. Or even if it's unranked fighters, an exciting fight. You know, people say this would water down the sport. But I don't think it would. Because whenever I talk to fighters... They always want to compete more. They're always unhappy about the amount of fight that they get per year. It seems more of them are actually unhappy about that than they are what they get paid. But I digress. Looking at that and judging by what uh, you could get out of that, which is basically you're making content that's inexpensive. You're, of course, paying fighters. But if you're paying them, let's say, an average salary of $35,000, and if it's five fights, you got uh, 10 athletes on the card. You got $350,000. You could get more than that in rights fees without a problem if you did these every couple weeks. And that way you have midweek UFC action. And what I compare it to is I haven't watched pro wrestling in, God, what, 17 years for the most part. But if you're an old guy like me, you'll remember when they had, and they might still have it for all I know. Again, I haven't watched it in a long time. They used to have Sunday Night Heat. Now, they had Raw and SmackDown, and those were the two meaningful events during the week. And Sunday Night Heat was kind of a way of featuring a lot of their up-and-coming talent, uh, even local, regional talent, etc. 
but you're giving at least a platform to those, and it they they would record them at this I think on the same nights as SmackDown as a uh, yeah SmackDown. This would be a little bit of a different circumstance because back then nobody really had their own you know production facility. But if they were able to do cards like this midweek on Wednesdays, I think you'd get uh, a good amount of money from rights fees. I think that again the overhead would be low. You'd be able to control the environment because it's in your own facility. And you could do these kind of little micro-events that will generate content for Fight Pass or whoever your rights provider is and not cost that much money. Plus, you're going to be able to fulfill the contract that you've signed with your fighters by giving them a certain amount of fights per year. Keep them busy. Get activity. And then also give people something midweek to watch. Maybe you, you have it Wednesdays at, say, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific, something along those lines. Now suddenly you have five decent fights, five fights that, that people would watch if you're really into the sport. And if you miss it, you know, you catch up the next day. It's the kind of thing where, you know, look at different sports midweek. If you're watching an NBA game and it's like the Knicks versus the Pacers, it's still a game that might have some bearing on the Eastern Conference in the playoff picture. Usually if the Knicks are in it, that's not the case. But leagues have games. Leagues have different so many different games per week that if you miss one, meh, not the end of the world. The UFC can do the same thing. Have five fights. Maybe two of them are feature a ranked fighter. Has a little bit of bearing on the division, but, you know, it keeps it keeps the machine rolling. It keeps people employed. It keeps people uh, that are under contract happy that they have the amount of fights that they want to fulfill. That's all I was saying when I uh, said that a fight like this, a card like this, I think is a good model uh, for what they could be doing midweek. I think five, six fights. It doesn't need to be a full fight card like this one is. But you do something along those lines, and I think that it checks a lot of boxes for pretty much everybody involved. If you're a fan, you get more UFC. It's not that long uh, to sit around and watch. You know, five fights usually is about two hours in length. Dedicate two hours on a Wednesday night. If you're able to watch it, great. If you're not, you can PVR it, whatever. Watch it the next day. Watch it on Fight Pass the next day if you, uh, if you don't subscribe to cable. Whatever you want to do. And you should subscribe to cable. They pay the bills around here. But do what you want to do because I just think that you're going to be able to provide a quality product that will demand a rights fee, that will demand the attention of the fans, and that you can control because you are doing it in your own facility. You don't need to have big public weigh-ins or anything along those lines. You don't need to do you don't need to do a full the full fight week treatment, but you can get people to do interviews to promote the fights, etc. All of that can take place. So that's uh, that's my thoughts on it. I mean, they do the Contender Series already. It's a very similar model to the Contender Series. It doesn't quite have that reality show aspect where you decide who gets a contract at the end, but you have a lot of really talented fighters on this roster. And while some don't carry the same weight in terms of name value, I still think that you're always going to get a high-quality product if you put two, any two UFC fighters in the same division in the cage together because they're the, at the very highest level of the sport. So that's uh, that's my my thoughts on on something that they could do uh, for the future. Now, of course, the UFC is having a lot of different uh, things come up in terms of athlete pay. That's been the, the the subject of the day of late for the UFC. And we saw Dana White was on first take, and uh, Dominique Foxworth was one of the hosts that day. And Dominique Foxworth has extensive experience when it comes to labor negotiations because he represented the NFLPA for some time. And he was really uh, grilling Dana White in a way that Dana White is not used to 
being grilled because you had somebody that was specialized in one specific facet of the UFC's business, which is dealing with the uh, athlete negotiations. Now, I'm going to tell you why I don't think that there is going to be a union in the UFC. Let me let me outline some reasons why I don't think that for the foreseeable future we're going to see any sort of union, fighters union, etc. for the UFC. Let's start off by saying that there's a lot of the haves and have-nots in, in the UFC. There are those that are at the very top of the sport, and those are the ones that seem to be complaining the most lately about pay because they look at boxing pay, they look at what big tickets get paid, and they are unhappy with that. But the problem is, if you, t- if you look at the percentage of people on the UFC roster and you round it to those that are making a million dollars in that range, whatever, six figures, even six figures, those making six figures and those making five figures, what percentage of the UFC's roster, based on what the commission uh, discloses in terms of disclosed pay, how many of them have a base salary that is in the six figures? What percentage? Because I would render a guess that you're looking at less than 10% of the UFC's roster. So because of that, those fighters have less power when it comes to these sort of things. And the other issue is, you, you know, the, the big issue with them is they compare them, their salaries to boxing salaries. And you look at boxing main events, co-main events, and these guys are making a lot of money. So it's fair for them to look at it. Like, listen, I'm not trying to get, you know, make it so the fighters don't get paid as much. Believe me. I'm on, I want the fighters to get paid as much as they can possibly get throughout their career. But if you, if you say that that's how 10% of the UFC's roster, you have to look at the other 90%. Because those are the people that, yield, that wield the real power in terms of a fighter's union. Because you, in order to get enough people to sign a union card, you need to have widespread buy-in. And if you're a fighter like a Charles Jordan, let's say he's making 45 and 45. I don't know what he makes. Or like an Andre Feely making 75 and 75. These are fighters that aren't in the main or co-main event typically. So if they look at boxing salaries and they look at what boxers on the undercards make, they make nothing compared to what the a lot of these UFC fighters make. Go and find disclosed purses from boxing events and look at what the lower level people on the card is. And the difference is the UFC does a great job of marketing full cards. Like They make you want to watch from the start of the, of the cards to the end of the cards. And that's why when people come out and say, oh, why is this card, why is this fight the third fight from uh, from the top, and this fight's the first fight when these guys are ranked and those guys aren't. They want you to tune into the entire fight night card from start to finish. So from an economic standpoint, if, if most of these fighters that are making five figures, mid to high five figures, look at boxing salaries of, of comparable athletes in that sport, they're doing great. They're doing really well. So... For them to go and sign uh, a union card, you'd have to have their manager on board. And most of the managers in this sport are more aligned with the promotion because they want to be on the good side of the, the matchmakers than they are the side of the fighters. And I hate to say that because they manage the fighters. But a lot of, a lot of what we see skews towards the promotion because you do not want to be in the bad books of the promotion. That's what makes this different from the NBA Let's say you're the NBA. Let's say you're an NBA player. First off, you're on a team, so that's already allows you to chat with your your colleagues in the locker room all the time. You guys can you guys can can shoot the breeze. But let's say one guy's unhappy with his pay. Let's say a guy's making six million dollars. Suddenly he's averaging twenty two points per game, and he says, 
wow, I've got two more years on my deal. And he goes to management and he says, I don't like this deal. I'm worth more than this. And they say, well, you're locked up for another two years at this, at this salary. Sorry. If you're the UFC and someone comes to you, let's say it's Jorge Masvidal, and says, I don't like this salary. You guys want to pay me less to fight Usman than you did Diaz. And the UFC comes back and says, well, listen, these are the economics of it. That was at MSG. We're getting a gate. Um, sure, you, you can argue that that's a harder fight. We get that. We understand that. In fact, we know it. But based on the economics of this particular card, we're not going to be able to pay you that much because of X, Y, Z. And then he says, well, I'm not fighting. And they say, okay. And they continue to offer him three fights, whatever. They have to offer him three fights a year. So they, they call up Jorge Masvidal's manager. Hey, we got something for you. We want you to fight, uh, I don't know, Demian Maia. And they say, well, we've already fought Demian Maia. We don't want to take that fight. Okay, well, we've offered you one of your three fights. Uh, we'll call you again when something else pops up. So the UFC at that point are, are fulfilling their side of the bargain based on what their contract is with their fighter. They're offering them the fights at, that, at the salary that they are contracted to compete at. So if they feel like they should be making more and they're going to sit it out, they can, they can sit it out. The problem with sitting it out, especially in the case of like a Jorge Masvidal, is when you, Jorge Masvidal caught lightning in a bottle. He's, you know, he was one of the biggest stars of 2019. But we're in June now. We're six months into 2020. And if there's one thing you can say about fans of the UFC, they are forgetful. They don't. Re- they remember last weekend what happened. They remember the main of it. They remember that Amanda Nunes had a great performance, and Amanda Nunes is the pound for pound best of the women's MMA. We saw what Felicia Spencer did. She's very durable. Blah blah blah. We that's top of mind for us. We see the Gilbert Burns a couple weeks back. He beat Tyron Woodley pillar to post five rounds. Now he's the number one ranked guy. He's great. He poses a lot of stylistic problems for Usman. They used to train together. This is going to be interesting because if Usman grapples, you got a grappling ace like Burns. He can seek and sub him, and Burns looks great on the feet. This is fantastic. Oh, but what about Masvidal? Everybody was saying Masvidal should fight Usman. Well, look at the rankings. Burns is number one now. The people that did the rankings, they, they all decided that Burns is now the number one guy in the division. So if you're the UFC and you say, well, we're going to give Burns the shot. He's the number one guy. He's ready to go. He's going to do it for his contracted amount. Perfect. If you're Burns' manager, you're also Usman's manager, you say, hey, great, I get the double dip here. I hate to see two of my guys go against each other, but it's for a belt. They want to do it. Perfect. Then Masvidal's relegated to the sidelines again. And then when they offer him another fight, if it's not a big fight, he's not going to want to take it. And the longer that that continues to happen, the less momentum Jorge Masvidal has. So let me go back to my NBA comparison. So let's say you're that guy, you're making six mil a year, you want to make 16 mil a year now because you're averaging 20, uh, 20 and 10, whether it's assists, rebound, whatever. You, your value is worth way more than $6 million in the NBA if you're, making, if you're averaging 20 and 10. So you go to management, you say, listen, we need, I'm not making enough money here. Well, management will say, hey, well, too bad. You got two more years, $6 million, sorry. And he says, well, I'm not going to play for you. And they say, okay. Guy sits out, doesn't make a penny. But they can demand a trade. And then because if they're unhappy with that team, maybe they want to change the scenery, whatever. They're playing in Utah, and now they want to play in New York or L.A. Then management has the ability to trade them somewhere else. They can call up whatever, call up the Knicks. Hey, this guy's averaging 20 and 10. What can you, what can you give us for him? This can all take place behind the scenes. Doesn't even, nobody even needs to know what's going on. 
then the Knicks can say, okay, well, we'll give you this guy. Now suddenly you got a brand new player going there. You got this 20 and 10 guy who's, who's unhappy. He's going to the Knicks. Now he's the Knicks' problem. Problem solved if you're management there. You lose a 20 and 10 player, but maybe you get back some locker room morale, etc. But these guys can't get out of their contract. Whereas the UFC, if, if someone says, hey, I just knocked that Ben Askren in five seconds. I'm worth more than this. The UFC can either say, well, we agree. We, we're going to raise your, your, your base salary, and this is going to be your new salary. We, but we want you to take seven fights. You're, you're now, instead of, you're on a, instead of being now on a three-fight contract where you're making $180,000 uh, per fight, now you're on a seven-fight contract where you're making $350,000 a fight. And then if that athlete keeps winning, their stock keeps rising, maybe they can go back to the bargaining table. But if you sit out, you're not making any money, and you've got nowhere to go. You can't be traded. I mean, we saw Demetrius Johnson for Ben Askren. That was a one anomaly. It wasn't even really a trade. It was more like a okay, you can you can negotiate with this guy if we can negotiate with that guy. But you're not going to see Dana White call Bellator and be like, "Hey, can we can we trade you? Uh, we're going to trade you, Jorge. You're, you're going to trade us, Michael Chandler. What do you think?" It's never going to happen. That's fantasy land. So now you're in a situation where your fighter feels like he's not making enough money. He's sitting on the sidelines. His stock is is diminishing by the day. Because Jorge Masvidal, until he fights, people are, are not gonna people are gonna forget. That's just how it is. We all rem- like if you remember Jorge Masvidal in 2019, amazing knockout over Darren Till, underdog. Amazing knockout, five seconds over Ben Askren, underdog. Favorite against Nate Diaz. Does a huge gate at MSG. Fun fight. BMF championships created. All that great stuff. But since then, he's apparently signed a new deal, or he had signed a new deal before the DS fight. I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of his contract. I'm going based off of the hearsay that's being spouted in the media. So if you are Jorge Masvidal and you're his manager, they've offered you Usman, and according to Ariel Helwani, they were willing to offer him the same amount of money that he took to fight Diaz after they were, I guess, trying to lowball him. And they still said no. And that's a mistake, in my opinion. Because where do you go from here? Short of a Conor McGregor fight, McGregor, who's now retired, comes out of retirement, which we should probably discuss because that uh, we haven't had a show since then. So we'll, we'll touch on that as well. But unless you you want to try to make good on both these guys, you call uh, McGregor and say, "Hey, right now we have the lightweight division pieces kind of lined up on the board, but we want to give you a fun fight. We're going to give you Jorge Masvidal." You call Masvidal and you say, "Hey, we're going to give you more money. You get to fight Conor McGregor." They could do that, but. Why would you take two big gate draws? We now have two proven gate draws because you saw what what happened at MSG with the BMF Championship. You've seen McGregor's gates. Why would you bend over backwards and pay them more money to fight in front of nobody? It's just, again, it's all economics at this point in time. So I can can see where the UFC is coming from. And I also think that those who believe that a union is going to be formed, you just don't understand the inner workings of the sport because if people if the UFC finds out that players are that that the fighters are trying to organize it's different than if a league does because the league has lots of different um switches that can be activated to allow this thing to happen kind of peacefully or at, or at the bargaining table it's not really much of a bar, of, of a collective bargaining uh situation of any sort in the UFC nor has there ever been the UFC decides who fights who the UFC decide, decides how much people make. The, the UFC decides how often people fight. You know that if you are among those trying to organize, that you're taking a big risk. You're, you're taking a gamble. 
So that's why I think that uh, a union in this stage in the game is uh, kind of a, a work of fiction. I don't think that we're going to see anything along those lines. In fact, they kind of made an example of those who did try to organize. You look at uh, Kajon Johnson. You look at um, Leslie Smith. Neither are with the UFC anymore. In fact, Leslie Smith, kudos to her. She recently got arrested uh, for protesting, for being part of a Black Lives Matter uh, protest. So kudos to Leslie for always expressing herself and saying what's on her mind. We need more people like Leslie Smith. So, uh, again, that's why I don't think that we're going to see an organization effort anytime soon. Let's go to uh, Conor McGregor. Saturday night, this kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but after Amanda Nunes basically had a perfect fight, comes out and announces his retirement. Now, he knows that eyes are on social media at that time because uh, a main event just ended. People are looking for their news. Decides to announce it right there and then. I don't really love that because I feel like it really diminishes uh, the accomplishments of those that um, had competed on that card. You had a great knockout from uh, Cody Garbrandt. You had an amazing uh, submission from uh, Aljamain Sterling. You had that incredible Sean O'Malley knockout. There were a ton of great ones. You had Devin Clark overcoming adversity and beating Alonzo Menafield. You had so many great moments on that card. And now suddenly... Conor McGregor basically comes out and steals the show. And I, I don't like that because Conor seems to really respect the game and respect his fellow fighters. But to do that in that moment really kind of takes away and detracts from what I thought was a great moment for Amanda Nunes. We'll talk about Amanda Nunes a little bit more as well. But to see him do that, I thought, again, kind of took away from the moment. But I, I digress. Let's get to the, to the meat and potatoes of the issue, which is that unlike John Jones, potentially Henry Cejudo, and the aforementioned Jorge Masvidal, who are all looking to get paid. He's just looking for a fight. And the UFC have, for whatever reason, systematically removed every single possible fight for McGregor that would make any sense in terms of him having any sort of upwards mobility in, in one of the divisions. Outside of maybe an Anderson Silva, Nate Diaz rematch, Masvidal, these are fights that don't have real stakes. They're just, aside from, of course, the money that's involved. But they don't really do anything for Conor McGregor. If he loses to any of those people, it hurts his stock so much. So he's decided, he says now his his season that he wanted to have is not going to happen in 2020s in the rearview mirror. He's retired three times three times now. None of which have stuck. I mean, this this one, I guess, has stuck for less than a week. But who knows? Who knows what's going to happen with Conor McGregor from here? But when someone retires, I tend to take it at face value. I, you know, but with McGregor, I, I just don't know if I can do that. I, I just feel like he's leaving too much money on the table. He's making good money from his whiskey business, and uh, I don't know. I mean, we saw how good he looked against Cowboy Cerrone, and it seemed like it really reinvigorated him and then gave brought it back his passion to the game. And I guess that's apparent here because. He just wanted to fight, and they don't have anything for him that makes any sense. It doesn't make sense for the promotion. It doesn't make sense for him. So he's decided to retire. For the opposite reason of these these others who want to get paid, he just wants to fight. So I kind of understand why this has happened from both sides. You know, the UFC don't really have gate a gate right now. So McGregor's bargaining power goes down a little bit. 
they can't really offer him quite as much as he's accustomed to making. So when you when you look at at that situation, what you know, what do you glean from that? You gotta you gotta look at the fact that McGregor can't make as much money under those circumstances, at least not in my opinion. Especially with the rumor that you know this is a long-standing rumor that the UFC are getting a flat rate per pay-per-view from ESPN, and if ESPN are happy with the results they're getting right now, and they're not calling the UFC and say, "Hey, we need something big," not that uh, three championship fights isn't big, and we'll get to that later as well. Man, this is just a lot to talk about this week. But it just hurts the earning power of of McGregor. It also hurts the earning power of the UFC because you're leaving a seven-figure gate, sorry, an eight-figure gate on the table when you have McGregor fight in front of nobody. So what do you do under those circumstances if you're on either side of the table? You can't really offer anything to McGregor of substance. And if you're McGregor, you don't really have much, much of a leg to stand on because, you know, they can't offer you much. All of the fights that he wanted, Gaethje is going to fight Khabib, so both of those guys are off the table. Usman's going to fight Burns, so that's off the table. What fight can he take that will actually do anything for him? He's already beaten Poirier, and Poirier's got a fight lined up with Dan Hooker, uh, reportedly. So there's just nothing that will help McGregor in terms of his upwards mobility, and I think that that is another reason why he's just not going not gonna to sign just any fight. And I agree with him on the Anderson Silva front. Like he said, the Anderson Silva fight would be a lot of fun. But when I look at it, if I don't finish this guy, I go five rounds with Anderson Silva, who's 45 years old. People are going to say, oh, I should have knocked him out. I should have been. I should have finished him. But keep in mind that at a time, you had Silva competing at 205. You had McGregor competing at 145. So we're talking about five weight classes here. Four weight classes. Four weight classes above where McGregor is. I mean, that's... The size difference would be gigantic. And it would be a lot of fun. I would watch it. I think everybody would watch it. It's uh, an absolute legend of all time, of, of uh, the UFC, who McGregor said was he thought was the greatest of all time in Anderson Silva against McGregor. Fun fight. But... That's a lose-lose for McGregor, as far as I'm concerned. If he beats a 45-year-old guy, every day, oh, he was 45. Look at look at his record in his last eight fights or whatever it is. But if he loses to Anderson Silva, people will say, he's 45 years old. Look at his record in his last eight fights, and he couldn't beat that guy. They'll say the same thing either way. And I don't think McGregor's one to sign on to lose-lose scenarios. That doesn't seem like, uh, that doesn't seem like his style. So from here, I guess we'll see what happens. But I don't think we're going to see McGregor compete until um, like December at the absolute earliest. Or maybe never again. <laughs> Who knows? All right, UFC 250. Why don't we do a little quick uh, recap of that one, just put a little bow on it. But, uh, you know, when I, when I was talking about Felicia Spencer, I said that... Her path to victory was exactly what she said it was, which was you need to find an opening, you need to find a mistake over the course of five rounds, and if you can capitalize, you'll beat Amanda Nunes. That's that's the one way 
that she could have won. Is somehow finding herself on top. Nunes makes a mistake in a scramble or whatever. That didn't happen. Amanda Nunes fought a perfect fight against Felicia Spencer. And the the scariest thing about this is if you look at 135 and 145 and you were to rank the athletes that you think would be the most competitive against Amanda Nunes, you know, either from past match, if you took past matchups and um, future matchups, I would say personally, again, looking at just featherweight and bantamweight, that Felicia Spencer is in the top three of the most competitive fights that Amanda Nunes could fight. She knocked out Holly Holm early. She uh, has beaten Jermaine Durandame twice. And a lot of people, when I asked this question, I, I asked it on Twitter, you know, who are the most competitive opponents? Most of them were saying Holm and Durandame. Aspen Ladd was knocked out by Jermaine Durandame in like under a minute. And she's still young. So, I, you know, I don't want to say that that Aspen Ladd was, would be the same Aspen Ladd. But I don't know how competitive that matchup is. Juliana Pena has been basically inactive. She uh, had a baby and took time off. Recently fought again against Nico Montano. Then people were saying Irina Aldana. And I'll tell you, Aldana had a great finish against Ketlin Vieira. I mean, you you can't you can't uh, take that away from her. But I mean, she lost to Raquel Pennington. She lost to Caitlin Jukagian. She lost to Leslie Smith. Her other wins before Ketlin Vieira. Vanessa Mello, Betch Cohea, Lu- Lucia Pudilova, Talita Bernardo. Like the Ketlin Vieira win was very impressive, but she hasn't beaten great competition. Like we're not talking about an upper echelon fighter here, at least not yet. So to say that she would be among the most competitive, like I, if you if you ask me who's going to be more competitive in the fight between Nunes Spencer, who we just saw fight Nunes or Aldana in the future, I think Spencer will have fought better than Aldana fights Nunes. And if for whatever reason Aldana upsets Nunes, feel free to play this clip back because I, I believe every word of what I'm saying right now. And maybe I'm wrong about Aldana's progression. Maybe she's progressed to a point where she actually has risen to be a top fighter in this division, and I there's something I didn't notice. But I just don't see... like. I think Spencer has to be in the top three of the most competitive matchups for Nunes right now with 35 and 45 if you take Shevchenko out of the equation. <laughs> and, and Nunes destroyed her. That's how good Amanda Nunes is. Amanda Nunes, the the chasm between her and the next best fighter in those two divisions, oh, it's crazy. I mean, it's she's that much better. And I don't think you can say that about any other champion, save for maybe Valentina Shevchenko in in the sport right now. I mean, you look at uh, you look at fly featherweight. Do you think Volkanovski is that much better than the, the next best guys? I don't think so. That, that division is stacked. You think Khabib is that much better than Gaethje or Ferguson? I mean, we saw how good he was against Poirier. Maybe he'll prove that he is. You think Usman is that much better than Burns, Covington? Well, we know he's not because Covington and Usman was a competitive fight. Israel against Whitaker, Costa, Cannonier. Is he going to be that much better than those? I mean, the fight with Romero was pretty competitive. We saw how he fought against Gaslam, who's ranked seventh. John Jones, we saw how he did against Dominic Reyes and against Thiago Santos. Doesn't look to be the same John Jones, who is that much better than everybody in the division. Cormier, uh, Stipe, you can't say, is that much better than Cormier or Nganu, or even Curtis Blades. But in, uh, in and of course, uh, Zhang Veili, we saw she had a very competitive fight against Joanna. Um, I, it's hard to say that she's that much better than everybody either. Shevchenko, I think you can make that argument. 
But Nunez, like, there's just no argument. She's that much better than everybody. And that's why the Nunez-Shevchenko trilogy fight, even though Dana White thinks that Shevchenko versus uh, Wei Li should happen before that fight happens, I don't know about that. Because if you look at the strawweight division, we saw Zhang beat Andraj fair play under a minute. Incredible win. You still have Rosnama Yunus. You still have Tatiana Suarez. You still have Joanna, who I think would, would be competitive against Zhang again. Uh, Nina Ansarov is uh, is pregnant, so she's not competing anytime soon. Gadelia, I don't know how she would do against Zhang. I think Zhang would probably beat her on the feet pretty handily, but who knows? Uh, I think Amanda Rebus is a big up-and-comer. We'll see how she does against Paige Van Zandt. It's amazing to me that Angela Hill is unranked in that division. Just seems odd. But uh, anyhow, be that as it may, Nunez, uh, I think there's just a chasm between her and the other fighters. The other crazy thing is that uh, someone pointed this out, that uh, Zhang Li is ranked ahead of Valentina Shevchenko in the women's pound for pound. These people just start watching MMA? or Like, how does that happen? Like, that's that's about as big an oversight as you'll find <laughs> in, in the rankings. And there are many of them, believe, believe me. There was a time where, where someone continuously was voting for uh, Adriano Martins uh, in the rankings, and he had been out of the UFC for a year and a half. So, the, believe me, the rankings are, are pretty bad. But to have Zhang Veili ahead of Shevchenko in the women's pound for pound rankings... I mean, look at Je- look at if you, look, look. What are you basing this on? Like, look at Shevchenko, how she beat Joanna. That wasn't the close fight. Zhang versus Joanna. People could have argued that Joanna won that fight. Like, how? How do you make that determination? I would love to peel back the uh, the curtain and find out how that was how that was determined. And we have a list of those who do the rankings. They've added more and more people, so that means that you have even more opinions. Involved in the rankings, and you still ended up having Zhang Veili ranked in the women's pound for pound ahead of Shevchenko. My oh my! Not much more you could say about that. So, uh, yeah, that's that's how good Nunez is. I, th- I I think Spencer honestly is like a top three most competitive opponent for Nunez in bantamweight and featherweight, and that says something. Most people's answers were people that we just haven't seen Nunes fight yet. We had Megan Anderson being some of the answers because of her size. We had Aldana. We had uh, Aspen Ladd. Like people are just because people know that the other people we've seen how how they did against Nunes, so they just write them off. <laughs> but the, but I would have to say that like if you put Jermaine Durandame against Aldana, who's favorite in that fight? I would have to say, I would have to say Jermaine is. And if you put Spencer against Megan Anderson, again, no doubt she's favored over Megan Anderson. All right, co-main event. Cody Garbrandt hits a home run against Rafael Asuncao. Like, that's about as heavy a punch as you'll hit somebody with. And Asuncao's not an easy out, but you could just see Garbrandt measuring him. He looked like somebody, somebody stalking his prey. He was just measuring him, waiting for that moment. And he, he knocks out Rafael Asuncao and reminds us just how good Cody Garbrandt is. He's still a young man. I think, how old is Garbrandt? Garbrandt's 28 years old. About to turn 29. But still very young in the sport. He's accomplished so much already, but hadn't won in about four years. Comes back and earns some style points in the process. And then we saw Sterling versus Sandhagen in a fight that I thought was going to be far more competitive. Now, I don't know if Sandhagen is just a slow starter or what, but 
when Sterling got that that rear naked choke on him and that squeeze was locked in, he he wasn't going anywhere. Like that fight was pretty much curtains at that. It, it, he w- he was pretty much done. So kudos to Aljamain Sterling and uh, Aljamain Sterling taking on the winner of Jan versus Aldo. I was thinking about Jan versus Aldo actually the other day, which will take place at UFC 251, July Fight Island in Abu Dhabi, Yaz Island. Wouldn't it be cool if Aldo won that fight? Like, Aldo's career is kind of an afterthought at this point in time. We saw Holloway beat him twice, and people were like, okay, well, he's done. If he became become a, uh, a two-division champion at this stage in the game, like that's a pretty incredible accomplishment to bounce back and do that, to go down a weight class when you're having trouble making 145, you go down to 135, you make the weight, you fight Peter Jan. Like, that would be pretty impressive. But uh, Peter Jan's, Piotr Jan does seem like uh, somebody who is going to make some noise. That's for sure. Sean O'Malley with that knockout of Eddie Wineland. Just phenomenal. Incredible knockout. This guy's going to be a problem. I, I predicted on Twitter that he's going to fight for the, the title by the end of 2021, and I, I stand by that. He's just His grappling is so good. We haven't even seen that outside of Quintet for the most part. At least this version of Sean O'Malley. His striking is so on point. Catches Wineland with the sleeping after that feint and and just straight right down right down the chute knocks him out. Beautiful. We saw Chase Hooper stumble early on in his career. Lost to Alex Caceres, thirty twenty seven on all cards. Uh, it just looked like he was overmatched in that one, and he was a two to one favorite in that fight. What else we had that card? We had uh, Ian Heinish, a very quick win over Gerald Mearshart. That was unfortunate for uh, for Mearshart. Hopefully he can bounce back. I, I like Gerald a lot. I've made no uh, secret of that. He's a good dude. Uh, Cody Stamen beats Brian Kelleher in an emotional fashion. I mean, his, his younger brother died suddenly, and he decided to, I don't know how he decided to continue to fight this fight and was able to win every single round against a very game Brian Kelleher, but uh, man, you gotta hand it to Cody Stamen. That's toughness personified. Just being able to overcome that in general is hard. To win a three-round fight against a, uh, an incredible top-level fighter in the world like Brian Kelleher, and when I say that, I mean I'm not saying he's top top level in the UFC, but I mean, if you get to the UFC, you're a top-level fighter in the world. I mean, how many fighters are there? He's in the top 1% of fighters in the world. But to do that, I mean, just to compete against somebody that's a UFC-level fighter with that weighing on you, it seems impossible. And he did it. So, I mean, not much more to be said than that. Mackie Patolo unleashes the coconut bombs on Charles Bird, who subsequently retires after the fight. Alex Perez unleashing vicious leg kicks on Juicy Formiga. That's two Iridium Sports-managed fighters in back-to-back weeks, winning with leg kicks. I think Jason House, the manager, must must sit. He must sit these guys down and and have them watch Joseph Valtellini YouTube videos before the fight. And says, watch, watch what that guy does. Devin Clark beats Alondo Menafield. One of the judges gave Devin Clark the first round, and I just don't know how that's a possibility. But kudos to Devin Clark and shout out to his dad David, who is in his corner every fight and is always incredibly loud. Dan Tom. My guy points this, points this out all the time about uh, David Clark, Devin Clark's father, yelling from outside the cage. And it was extremely pronounced this time around at the apex. But I found out from uh, Devin Clark's manager, Rick Guerrero, 
that David doesn't really have any, you know, he's, he doesn't give any coaching advice. He's just there basically to pump up his son. And I love that. It's amazing. Herbert Burns beats Evan Dunham. Dunham got, uh, Dunham got on the scale at weigh-ins and said 145 is next for him. So that's that's kind of cool. If it wasn't short notice, I think Dunham could have made 145 for this fight. But uh, Herbert Burns looking fantastic. Burns brothers winning in back-to-back fights. just happened to be a week removed from one another. Gilbert Burns in the main event of the previous week's card. And then on the first fight of the card, Herbert Burns gets a win. So kudos to the Burns brothers. And Gilbert Burns, of course, kudos to him getting the uh, main event spot in what is usually International Fight Week. They have pay-per-view in July in Abu Dhabi. You got three title fights on that card. You got Usman against his former training partner, Gilbert Burns. I don't know if they're still technically still training partners. I, don't, I had heard that Usman moved to Denver and is training there now, but I don't have confirmation on that. Uh, so we have Burns versus Usman in the main event. Well, Usman versus Burns. Usman's the champion. Give him his respect first. Co-main event, Volkanovski versus Holloway, part two. I thought uh, Volkanovski looked phenomenal in their last fight and won pretty much every round. We'll see if Max has made the adjustments necessary to win that fight. Max, one of the all-time greats at featherweight. Let's not forget about that. You've got Piotr Jan against Jose Aldo for the vacant men's bantamweight title, coming off the retirement of the undisputed champion, Henry Cejudo. Jessica Andrade versus Rose Namajunas, part two on that on that card. Andrade won the first one, taking the title away from Rose Namajunas last year in Brazil with her pile driver. At least that's what her nickname is. More of a power bomb, if you ask me, but you know. Amanda Ribas against Paige Van Zandt. Ribas, one of the real up-and-comers in the uh, UFC. Apparently this fight's going to be a flyweight. But uh, Ribas... Looking very, very good in her UFC tenure. And Paige Van Zandt might be on the way out after this fight. She uh, has made no uh, secret of the fact that she's going to be a free agent. And uh, her husband fights in Bellator. So we'll see what happens. Um, some other fights. Shamil Abdurakhimov against Cyril Gane. Gane looking like uh, a real up-and-coming fighter in the heavyweight division. Was the heavyweight champion in regional promotion TKO based out of Quebec. Frankie Edgar against Pedro Munoz. That's a fun one. Good uh, good first fight back for uh, Frankie Edgar. Munoz is a fun fighter. Uh, and Edgar making his bantamweight debut. Volkan Uzdemir against Yuri Prohaska. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly from the Czech Republic, but uh, was the champion in Ryzen, and uh, he's making his debut, and it's not an easy one. Volkan, uh, Volkan is a very tough fighter. And if Prohaska wins that fight... Uh, it puts him right in the mix at light heavyweight, in my opinion. And you've got Jaglos Jumagulov, who I think is from Uzbekistan, making his flyweight debut against Howley and Paiva. If I did any of those names incorrectly, I apologize, but you know I'm doing the best I can here. Got guys from the Czech Republic. Guys from, I believe, Uzbekistan. I'm going to just double-check. I don't want to insult. Oh, he's from Kazakhstan, sorry. Jaglos Jumagulov was supposed to fight on that Kazakhstan card, actually. And he's taking on uh, Howley and Paiva. So uh, those are some of the fights at UFC 251. Now let's get to some uh, interviews that were done with some of the fighters that are on this weekend's card. It's UFC Fight Night I versus Calvillo taking place at the UFC Apex on TSN. This Saturday night main card begins at 9 p.m. Eastern. I believe that the uh, 
early prelims begin at 6 p.m. Eastern. We've got interviews with uh, the two headliners, Jessica I, Cynthia Calvillo, and, of course, Canadian Charles Jordan, who is fighting on the card. Let's start with Charles Jordan. I spoke to Charles Jordan and uh, got to pick his brain on, on how he's feeling coming into this fight. He joins me now on the TSN MMA show. I am now joined by an up-and-coming Canadian in the sport. It's uh, Charles Jordan, who's facing Andre Feely. This weekend, it's UFC Fight Night Calvillo and I. Uh, well, I guess it's I versus Calvillo. I is the higher-ranked opponent. But I wanted to ask you first, Charles, what did you think of Felicia Spencer's performance uh, against Amanda Nunes? I know uh, we don't often have Canadians in the title fights, but uh, yeah. I wanted to hear your take on it. Uh, it was a great fight, but, you know, the, the, the experience uh, was the bigger factor in the in the old fight, and uh, man, uh, Felicia is tough. Who who can hit do- that many points from Cyborg and Amanda Nunes and still stay up? So I think I think many many 145ers are now scared of Spencer because they know I I can't finish that girl. So the resiliency she proved uh, she, she she proved she had resiliency and it was amazing. Even though it was a rough defeat for her. Uh, I, I she deserved to be in that act against uh, against Amanda Nunes. So I'm I'm proud of her. She's uh, uh, actually born in Montreal. I, I know people are saying no, she's not really from Montreal. She trains in the United States. Blah blah blah. I don't care. She had the Canadian flag. I'm 100% supporter. And uh, yeah, even though it was a little setback, I think the 45ers now know Spencer is for real. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think that she, like you mentioned. She, she was in there for 40 minutes if you combine the fights with Cyborg and Amanda Nunes. Took 250 strikes and didn't go yeah. down. So, I mean, there's no such thing as moral victories in MMA. You want to win all your fights, but uh, that's as close to a moral victory as you'll get. Yeah, 100%. So, you've, you're fighting Andre Feely, and whenever I talk about this card, people always say, um, oh, it's not a great card on paper, but everybody agrees that your fight with Feely is the best fight on the card. That's what I keep hearing. Everybody's like, oh, it's Jordan versus Feely. That's, that's a great fight. Um, yeah. So, so tell me about this particular fight and why Andre Feely is exciting for you as an opponent. Uh, actually, when we made the list that we sent to the UFC, Andre Feely, of course, was in that list. Uh, there was Cron, Cobb, but Cobb, Cobb Swanson was injured. But I, I sent a list to Sean Shelby and I said, all those fights are going to be exciting. Uh, so, so, and uh, they looked through the list and they said, okay, we have Philly number 18 in the world, which for me is a tremendous step up. It's my second fight at featherweight because of my debut at 140, uh, 155. So it's my second fight and I'm fighting a guy who's near the top 15 plus my victory plus uh, against Choi. You know, I'm not taking shortcuts. I'm going straight to the big dogs and I'm sure it's going to be a great fight. Andrew Philly, I love his style. I'm a big fan of his. Uh, I'm a big fan of guys at Alpha Male. They always bring it. And uh, that's why I want to find him. I know Styles makes fight, and I know there's no way it's going to be boring. There's absolutely no way. I'm super sad there won't be a crowd because that, I think we have the, uh, the 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 big fight of the night. That, that's for sure. Andrew Philly uh, mix up kicks, takedowns, uh, I pace fighters, and me. Uh, I, I like those pressure fights. So, I mean, it couldn't get any better opponent uh, for myself. And by the way, Cobb Swanson said he would be watching this fight. And uh, if I win, he would gladly uh, fight me. And I was like, man, wow. Dude, uh, I'm not overlooking overlooking Philly. I need to, to get rid of him before I get to Cobb. But uh, yeah, one step uh, one step at a time. 
I love how you're just fans of these guys. Like, you want to fight them because you you like respect them so much, and you're you like, oh yeah, you're like a fan of Andre Pili, a fan of Duho Choi. Man, I'm a fan of the UFC. Like, uh, since I I can remember, man, I'm seeing all I'm seeing all those guys in TV, and now I'm seeing them in real life. I'm seeing Dana White. I'm seeing all these these people, and I'm like, I can't believe I'm part of this because I'm looking at the whole thing as a fan. I'm like, oh my god! Like when I was I was in the room with Korean Zombie, and I was like. <laughs> It's impossible, man. I'm I'm training to fight Duo Choi, which in 2016, me and Louis were young and we were looking at his fight and we're like super dreaming, watching his fight against Cub and everything. And then I'm like, I'm actually fighting the guy in Koreans. I mean, next to me and preparing for his fight. Frankie Edgar's right over there. I, it's like, it's hard for me, man, to, to realize everything. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, Louis gave you a good piece of advice in between rounds against Duho. Yeah. Can you? Yeah, what did he tell you? I forget. I forget. He told me you have ten more minutes to change the rest of your life, which was one hundred percent right because he, he saw he know me. We like we are we are connected as brothers, and he know me, and he saw in my eyes that I was like, okay, this is a big step up in the competition. And he saw in my eyes, I'm quitting. And he just woke me up with that, man, it's 10 minutes. Charles, when we're sparring and when we're doing whatever, we're doing like seven minute, uh, seven rounds of uh, eight minutes. This is, this is easier than your training. Just wake up. And just that 10 more minutes to change your life, I was like, okay, I need to knock this guy out. Not, not only win, not only survive. I need to be the predator. I don't uh, stop being the prey. And then... It the my whole mind switch and I was like okay I I need to put more pressure on uh, uh, Duo Choi and it worked out perfectly so I'm super glad that Louis is going to be there uh, uh, next week and you mentioned to me uh, before we started this that Louis um, might be competing at the event should anything go wrong with one of the other bantamweight how many bantamweight fights are on this card uh, actually I don't know Louis have uh, all those information but uh, we we just put it out there to uh, Mr Shelby. And the guys, and we said, uh, if you ever need a 135, not that we want anything to happen to anybody, but f for instance, if one of my cornermen has uh, the, 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 the situation, you know, uh, I think I have to step out. So you, you don't know. You, you know. If a 135er has three cornermen, one of them has the, the issue or whatever, he, he, he needs to step out. So we, we were, the, 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 the chance are very small, but... I don't, I don't know. It could happen. I mean, 145 or 135, Louis can make the weight and be there and fight uh, for UFC, step in and say, hey, I'm serious about this. And, I, and Louis is going to make weight. Whatever they say, until everybody's on the scale, Louis is going to make 135. Just to prove them, okay, I'm there. I want to fight. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm ready. So I think it's a good message to send it to UFC. Even the, ch if the chances are that small, Louis is going to do his part. And uh, I respect that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Louis is uh, an excellent fighter. And um, yes, when, um, when Louis fights, he, he typically fights in, in TKO. TKO is run by your manager, Stefan Patry. Obviously, yeah. right now, when you can't do events with fans, I'm guessing that yeah. TKO is totally on hold. What's the future of TKO yeah. like right now? Uh, I, have, I don't have that much information about TKO uh, because it's been a while since they've made a, an event, you know, because of COVID, because of, of many reasons. But, man, I, I cannot... I cannot wish more for it to come back because it, it pushed me to the UFC and made me fight tons of guys, Will Romero, guys, Damien Lapilus. They made me fight 
they they built me to what I am today. This promotion, so I cannot wait for them to to do uh, better. I need they. I think they need to financially re- recover from many situations. But when they do, people in Quebec, people in Canada, people in Montreal, we need TKO to come back because it's the the you know the the, the board that's gonna push you to the UFC, and um, people need to understand that. Look at how uh, Cyril Gann is performing. Cyril Gann was also a champion at TKO. Myself and Marc-André. I, I know Marc-André is on a three-fight losing streak and uh, he has another chance in, in 20 of June, I think. But, uh, you know, we're produce- they're, they're pro- TKO is producing very good fighters like me and Louis. So uh, uh, I wish, I can't wait for it to come back. I was certainly happy to see that Marc-André Berrio is getting another shot in the UFC. Yeah, me too, man. I, I was I was stressed about that because I, I, I know Jesse Ronson who had three split decision loss against Kevin Lee and other good fighters. Yeah, and fighters. they, they mm-hmm. Yeah, and they kicked him out and uh, they say, you're never coming back. Uh, and uh, I, I thought after Korea, Marc-André would be off. But man, they gave him another shot. But to be honest, I think he needs to win very convincing, convincingly. I think that's yeah, the word. He needs to, to <laughs> he needs to, uh, yeah, make a statement because if he wins by a decision, close one, uh, I'm I'm not sure. So uh, I had a conversation with him, and Marc Andre is a very great fighter, powerful fighter, and I said, man, you need to use all of it, and uh, I'm sure he's going to perform well. Now, I don't know how late you stayed up last night, but Conor McGregor tweeted that he's retiring from MMA again. Yeah, and I'd love to hear yeah. your opinion on this. Um, I I understand his lack of excitement because Conor has always been a fan favorite, always liked the fan energy. And then I think yesterday we all had that little feeling of it's not the same. The fighting in an empty arena, like he missed some energy, he missed some power, he missed misses something great and i think connor to the point because to be honest all the fighters right now are fighting for money 100 percent for money yeah yeah and that's why ufc uh, that's why dana white said uh, you're an independent contractor if you don't want to fight you don't have to my job is to give you three fights and then you know he made a speech about that and all the fighters right now need money and they all say hey me 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 i want to fight so um Connor doesn't need money, so he doesn't need to fight. I think he's doing it for the prestige. He's doing it for many other reasons than money. So I don't think fighting in an empty cage is something that it's excites him uh, a lot. So I think I understand his point. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but that's my opinion on it. Would you say the same applies to John Jones and Jorge Masvidal and even Henry Zahudo, who retired recently? Yeah, uh, I th- yeah, probably, probably for Zahudo. For Jones and Masvidal, I think Masvidal is once more, which is understandable. But people cannot ask for Connor's money if they're not bringing as much attention to the the, the as much pay per view. If you want, like if you work for a company and you bring bring them a lot of profits, they're gonna give it back to you in a way. But then there's there's this old salary problem that people say, oh, we only receive like twelve or thirteen percent. And uh, for me. I don't have the 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 win in my back to say, hey, I need to get paid more. Uh, I'm I'm happy when I'm with what I'm making, which is tremendously more than I was when I started it. And uh, of course, it's gonna get to a point when I'm like, okay, we should get paid more. But right now, 
I cannot go on Twitter and say, hey, pay me more UFC. They're going to say the classic Conor McGregor line, who the F is that guy, you know? So I think people like John Jones and Masvidal have, they, they, they can do that, but not, not us, not up-and-comers. We don't have the voice. We don't have the power to do that. And uh, yeah, so when I, when I win a couple more fights and when actually they, they're probably going to re- re- negotiate me after this one but even though i have a great performance against philly against philly i cannot say okay i want one million i want uh, the, the, those amount i'm gonna look at what they say i'm gonna okay maybe i deserve a little more and we have we're gonna have a back and forth conversation about it but you know money is always a touchy subject and and uh i don't know i i need more experience and i need more uh, bullets in my in my in my gun, if I want to 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 trade with them, so yeah, you're in a familiar situation again. You're an underdog for the third straight time in the UFC. Yeah, and you're one on one. Do you do you relish that role? Yeah, uh, yeah, one hundred percent. Because I and even in TKO, even I was the fan favorite. I was always the underdog in the in for some reason because saying oh he's too small. Oh no, this guy's gonna because I'm always taking risky fights. I, I like that Rochester one was super risky. Duo Choi was even riskier, and now I'm fighting the number 18 in the world, so it, which is tremendously more riskier than every, anything I ever done. Whoops, sorry. You can hear it. It's okay. <laughs> okay, it's a little plain. Okay, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm a risk taker, and uh, I think it's gonna pay off. I I read on the internet because sometimes I'm googling my name. I know it sounds weird, but I'm like, oh, I'm gonna see what people say about my fight against Philly, and. Uh, People say don't sleep on Charles because Charles just came back with a big victory and he's a risk taker and this and that. And people are getting more uh, familiar with my style. And I think after a victory against Philly and then they put me against Cobb, I'm thinking, I'll still be an underdog. And after that, I don't know what, what's going to come after that. But I think the underdog, uh, I'll always be the underdog. I'm young. Uh, my fighting style is special in a way. I don't fight uh, so, like like normal, uh, like I have my own style and uh oops sorry uh this so uh yeah I, I i think i'll always be the underdog for a couple of uh fights well it seems like you're always aiming for the top you're you're not looking to face yeah. uh competition that you think are lesser than you You want to fight people that you know the public believe are better than you that's how you move yeah. up in the sport and i think it's a very smart approach and you've done great with it so 100%. far yeah, one hundred percent. That well said. Your English much better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Charles. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck against Andre Feely, and best of luck to your brother Louis. Hopefully, uh, he ends up getting a contract out of this deal, whether he is able to compete this weekend or not. I think that him uh, being on standby, uh, we've seen it happen. We saw it happen this past weekend. A kid named Anthony Ivy got signed yeah. because uh, they weren't sure if Ian Heinish was going to be able to compete. And now he's got a UFC contract. So hopefully, something yeah. along those lines happens with Char- uh, with Louis. And uh, I wish you guys both yes, the best. Sir. Are you going to be there? No, I'm not. this isn't. The, it's essential travel for you, not for me. Ah, no, <laughs> oh, that's sad. I'll be All there right, in spirit. I'll you. be there in spirit. Oh, if you see it, a I bottle of maple it. syrup, that's me manifested <laughs> into an object. Connecting. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, my man. I appreciate it. All right, thanks, Charles. All right, ciao. I'm pleased to be joined now by Cynthia Alvio, who's in the main event against Jessica I this weekend. Main event. That must sound pretty cool. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. I'm I'm excited, um, especially during this time. But uh, to be a woman and headlining the UFC event is just, uh, I, you know, I have no words. I'm super excited. 
what's it like in terms of comfort, uh, the, the fact that you're going to be at flyweight and you don't have to cut all this weight this week? Uh, it's been great. My energy levels are way different. I mean, normally I'm always like in a good mood during fight week. Um, but just as far as how my body's feeling, like I, I feel great. Um, I think that this is my weight class that I should all, you know, should have been fighting it all along. Um, when I was fighting at Strawway, I only did so because there was no flyway division when I got into the UFC. So, um, now I feel like after having, you know, some struggles, it was a time to move to flyway. So it's, it's been great. Well, it must be great for you, just from a mental standpoint. Uh, you fight great at straw weight, but now you've got the mental load off of you. Does it help you focus your energy a little bit more on the actual fight rather than the fight before the fight? Yeah, absolutely. I think that when I was like straw weight, like I, like three weeks out of before my fight comes out, I'm usually already like dialing in like a really strict diet where I feel like you know you're low carb and just not not fueling my body correctly I, because you know you start having a cut down to get close to that weight class so I was able to train hard like you know I right now during fight week I feel just as how I would at any training week so um it's it's a big game changer for me not only are you in a new weight class you're at a new training facility you're now at aka if I'm not mistaken yes correct that's correct I'm there now how are you enjoying aka um you know it was kind of short-lived a little bit because of the pandemic uh, I think I was like finally kind of getting settled in when I first moved out there. Um, and I was there for about two, three weeks before it got shut down. And even during that time, I was kind of like uh, splitting my time between Sacramento and San Jose. So um, I loved what I seen, obviously, when I got there. And that's how I decided to stay there. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's just crazy times. It's weird, you know. So the gym was shut down for a couple, for a while. Now we've been back in the gym maybe two, two three weeks um and you know we it's my coaches that i do have they're small groups and stuff so you don't get the same like feeling as you were if like the whole team was there you know we don't see everybody there so um it's quite different but i'm still really excited i think that the gyms you know obviously things are gonna get back to normal hopefully next couple months and i can really enjoy you know the whole atmosphere there well let's hope so because aka is going to be champ camp soon yeah that's right I was there when Khabib was in his champ cap before the pandemic and he left. So I was really excited when I was there. And I was like, oh, cool. I get to do my fight camp right next to alongside Khabib. You know, the energy was amazing there. But uh, then he left. But now he's going to come back for a champ cap. So uh, hopefully I can get in, a, in a, another fight. In terms of um, this fight with uh, Jessica I, I imagine a win here puts you basically right in the title mix. Uh, is that why one of the other reasons you moved into this weight class? I mean, I knew that the division was probably going to be definitely more open because it's a nearer division um, than the strawweight division. Uh, I wasn't sure how I knew that I can come up fast, but I didn't think I was going to get the number one contender right away, you know. Uh, so it's it's awesome. You know, I'm getting to where I want to be. Um, you know, the person who is fighting for the title next, Joanne Calderwood, I already beat her. You know, and I actually beat a lot of the couple of the flyweight fighters at the in the UFC already as well. So. Um, I think it's it's a perfect fight and, and a great placement. Obviously, you know, any other fighter would be just as happy to get that opportunity. What made you decide to leave Sacramento? So you were at Alpha Male and then you left and, and trained uh, exclusively, I believe, with Justin Buckles. And uh, then you decided to leave altogether and go to San Jose. Yeah, it was a bit difficult when the coaching staff and that was going on with the whole team. Um, you know, it, it was, was kind of like weighing down on me. 
I kind of really was getting like in a negative headspace. I felt like my like my parents are going through a divorce and I had to pick a side, you know. And and you know, from what I thought, I thought the best trying to stick it out. But it just for my career, you know, and what I need, the type of support that I need, and, and a high level team. Uh, I needed to move on, so um, it was just time. It was time to go somewhere else, and um, I'm glad I did because it was kind of a little bit stressful these last two years dealing with all that. Yeah, it's difficult because uh, Justin Buckles didn't really have a lot of people that joined him when he left. You were among them because I guess you had a really good connection with him. And Buckles is a great coach, uh, but of course yeah. there was a kind of a duel between him and Alpha Male. Plus, the jujitsu coach from Alpha Male was your jujitsu coach, so that must have been a, a pretty interesting scenario. Yeah, no, it was, it was really difficult. It, it, it was really tough. Um, it did definitely weigh out on me a lot. It affected me a lot this past year. Um, I got, uh, I think I got really depressed and like, you know, I was having a really hard time. And so I felt like it was time to come back home. I'm originally from San Jose. You know, my family's there. And, you know, sometimes you go through these hiccups in life, you know, maybe your your job, your workplace, it doesn't work out and you need to move up somewhere else. And, and that's how I view it. You know, it's a new chapter. Um, I'm so happy that I, I'm still able to be at the top level in the UFC and, and that I can move on, you know, new division, new me, so new team. <laughs> so. Yeah, you may as well get it all out of the way at once. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think of Amanda Nunes this weekend? It, you'll, it's very difficult to ever see somebody fight five perfect rounds, but that's basically what it was. Yeah, she she did great. For I mean, Felicia Spencer is super tough. I mean, she she's just... You cannot deny she's probably one of the toughest women on the planet. I mean, she took it to to Cyborg and still survived that, you know, went with Amanda Nunez, you know, and, and she still kept fighting. You know, some people wanted to throw in the towel after the first round, fourth round, but she, she was in there, you know, and Amanda Nunez, man, she's the most dominating, like seriously, hands down the baddest woman on the planet right now. Um, and I think her performance was great. Uh, you know, it's going to probably be a while till we get somebody that can really give her a run for her money. Well, actually, I was thinking about it, and if you look at 135 and 145, which would exclude the champion at flyweight, Valentina Shevchenko, who's really the only person that's been really competitive with Nunes for some time, Spencer's got to be like in the top three of the most competitive opponents for Nunes, and that's pretty scary considering how, you know, the chasm between them during that fight. Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree, um, but I just think that there's just different levels to it. Um, nothing against Felicia Spencer or, or anything like that, but I just think that. Uh, you know, Magna Nunez has been competing, you know, at the highest level for a very long And, you know, she she just knows what's up. She's a veteran. She's a champion. And um, I think that's why it was just, you know, that much of a difference. But and, you know, also being that at 145s, you know, there's not many women out there, you know, many women that are that fight and that are great at you know, at the highest level at that weight class. So it's a little bit difficult to come about, you know, come around people like that. I think the only person that was probably the closest and we already seen what she did to her was Chris Cyborg. So, you know, it's it's pretty crazy. Do you have any regrets about the last three years? Because looking at the strawweight division, you were always like right on the cusp of top five and then all these things kept happening. Um, do you feel like you wish you could go back in time three years and do things differently? You know, it's it's really interesting, but I feel like my life's always kind of played that way. Um, I've always had a lot of like where I'm doing really good and then, you know, goes down, up and down. But I feel like I you need to have this adversity to like, you know, really, you know, get you back in there. And I feel like I was fine. I was doing great. You know, it's not like I take anything for granted. I'm always a hard worker, but things get dull. And I feel like sometimes you got to struggle a little bit. You know, the best 
success. It feels so much better when you struggle. And yeah, I, 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 it was not a lot of fun these last two years dealing with a lot of, you know, a lot of situations that were, you know, not fun during my career. But I think it, it makes me stronger and I'm excited. I'm happy. I think this is my year. I'm turning, you know, a new page, a new chapter. And I feel great. I feel motivated. I'm back home in my hometown. And it kind of reminded me why I'm doing this, you know, the reason why I do this. So, um, you know, it's a part it's a part of the journey. So so I, I don't regret it. I think, you know, it, made me, it makes me who I am. And finally, we mentioned the new camp. We mentioned the new weight class. We've also got a new set of circumstances. This is a five round fight. How do you think your cardio is going to hold up at 125 versus 115? Um, I think it's going to do a lot better, obviously, because I'm not going to be killing my body three weeks out where I'm like kind of holding back in my training regimen, too. I didn't have to hold back at all. And so I feel like I feel good, man. I've been I have really good conditioning, good, really good cardio. That's the thing that like probably messed me up the most in being at the strawweight division is knowing how hard I worked and that that affected it, you know. And so I have a feeling that, you know, even if it is a five round fight, like I train super hard, man. I'm, you know, the first one on the mat, last one to leave, you know, always putting extra work. So um, I think I think it's going to be great. It's going to play on my favor. I actually get stronger as the rounds go. All right, Cynthia. Well, I really appreciate your time. Best of luck. It's the main event this Saturday. Yourself, Jessica, I, you can catch it on TSN. I uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's always a pleasure. I'm now joined by Jessica Evil Eye, joining me from Las Vegas, Nevada, where you've been training for this fight against Cynthia Calvillo. The main event, how does that sound? I believe this is your first ever main event. Yeah, this is more my first ever UFC main event. Fortunate for me, I've gotten a main event on a couple other cards. But yeah, dude. So awesome. What better than to come out of quarantine main eventing a, you know, an awesome UFC card where not very many other fights are on right or other sports are on right now. So pretty awesome. And I and this isn't the only fight that I've been in Vegas. This is my third fight now in Vegas. So I'm pretty pumped about it. Did you headline at NAAFS? Yep. NAAFS. Correct. I just wanted to prove that I knew something I, about the Ohio regional scene. That, that was the whole reason for that question. That's awesome. Well, you're you're extremely you're extremely smart. So good job. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yourself and Stepe Miacic, very uh, key alumni of the uh, NAAFS. Uh, so there you go, and you said his name right. What's well, Miacic? Yeah. Well, you know, you gotta yeah. you gotta make sure you you don't upset the champ. No, no way. Are you Croatian? <laughs> no, I'm Lithuanian, but same same kind of Baltic region. Is it? I have no idea. But I okay. hope so. I'm, I don't know. I know more about the regional uh, Columbus MMA scene than I do about the European uh, geography. So yourself and Cynthia Calvillo, this is a fun one. You're introducing her to the division, and you've had a lot of success uh, in your last fight. Uh, are, how excited are you to basically show her that 125 is a little bit different? I'm very excited. I think that there could be a million different ways I could say it to you, but I guess the only way that it'll be best shown and understood is when I show everyone on Saturday. I'm sure everybody's asking you about your fight against Valentina Shevchenko and trying to get back in there against her. Is that the ultimate goal? Uh, is to you know get in there and just you know have more success and and try the to become ultimate, the champion? The ultimate goal is to whoever has the belt there, you know. And I'm not looking past JoJo for Valentina, so I mean, I don't think any of you guys should either. Considering I see JoJo regularly at the PI and she looks she looks great. The girl's working really hard. Um, so the end result is always wanting to have a belt, but I don't look past Cynthia and I don't look past what I have to do right now. And that's um, it's kind of where I'm at right now with that is that I'm, I'm one task at a time, 
focus on one first and, and then we go forward. But yeah, I mean, everybody wants to be a champ, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's it's a no-brainer, right? Yep, it's a no-brainer. Uh, yeah, Joanne is supposed to be facing her, but I guess that fight got scrapped because uh, Valentina got injured. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to overlook her. It pushed back. It's not scrapped. Because believe me, I asked. I asked if I could <laughs> jump in there, and they said that JoJo's not, so. Do you have any knowledge of when that's going to be? Just, you know, maybe I could report on it? <laughs> Let's just say I'm, I, I would imagine it's going to be on that uh, DC card, you know, DC and Stipe card. Coach I Nixick, see that happening. Yeah, absolutely. So Co- Coach Nixick ha- has had uh, some momentum uh, with your, your most recent fight with Dan Ige. Uh, what kind of connection have you had with him? Because it seems like uh, he's, he's just a really respected coach that connects really well with his, uh, the different, uh, I guess, uh, athletes. With his coaches. fighters. Yeah, you know, um, I've known Eric in the business for a long time. Um, when I made my returning fight to 125, he was coaching um, Uriah Hall in St. Louis. Um, unfortunately, Uriah got hurt and, and, and couldn't compete, but he was there. And, you know, um, I have trained at Extreme when I fought in Vegas and stuff like that. So he um, always been a really great guy and really, you know, really supportive of us. Um, when I decided to make the move to Vegas, he welcomed me, you know, full on. And over the last year and a half and three fights, we've really grown together that, you know, between him, you know, Darren Branch, my jujitsu coach, my brother, um, we're all vibing pretty freaking awesome. And, you know, we went through growing pains as everyone does, especially in new relationships. But I am, my admiration for him grows by the day. Um, he's, he's really a great coach. And um, I'm fortunate enough that guys like Danny Gay are on the team and he coaches because Danny Gay's uh, wife, Savannah, has been on it, helping me with my nutrition and with the PI. So, you know, taking a short notice fight is challenging for us fighters, considering even the quarantine, um, that they've all been super supportive. So I'm hoping I could take some of that momentum into my own fight. You mentioned the quarantine. Now, usually saying uh, what's it like to not have to travel to an event because you're living in Vegas is a kind of a, a throwaway question. But this time around, a lot of people are worried about traveling, going on, on the airplane because the coronavirus is still, uh, you know, it's, it's not gone. It's not eradicated. Is that, is that a relief for you that you don't have to travel during this time in particular? Yeah, 100 percent. Like I, I'm, I feel like I tried to do my part during this quarantine as well as in increasing my household to live the same kind of life um, that look, just be one of the people that stays away, right? I'm not sick. I don't have any issues, but I'll be one of the people that does my part. I'll stay at home, order my groceries and pick them up curbside. Like we did all that as well as, you know, thankfully for zebra mats, Kyle um, over there got me mats out in the first week that quarantine happened back in March. So, you know, we have a large matted space area I had weights. I worked with the PI the entire time, you know, Bo Sandoval, my strength coach. So throughout this quarantine, I was, you know, I was ready for anything. And obviously I didn't want to have to go to the Florida card. I was offered a fight in Florida. Um, unfortunately, I, I just didn't want to take it. And it was too soon. Um, but I told them I'd be ready for anything they threw at me in June. And boy, did they throw it at me. Yeah, absolutely. A main event. Uh, you mentioned the short notice, five rounds. Do you think that could be an issue at all, or are you ready? I mean, your cardio has no, never no, been no. called into question. No, considering I was already getting ready for a submission underground before this even happened. So I was already doing grappling rounds, volume rounds, like volume rounds in Vegas, in the desert heat. 
I mean, in a garage, you know what I mean? On my mats. And, um, so no, I, I don't, I don't believe, I don't believe that'll be an issue by any means. Yeah. You have some of the best cardio of anybody in the UFC. So five rounds for you. Uh, that, that shouldn't pose uh, much of a problem. Mm-mm. I'm ready for whatever. All right, Jessica, it was always a uh, pleasure catching up with you. I wasn't, wasn't sure if you had watched this past weekend's event, but Amanda Nunes basically fought five perfect rounds. What's it like watching something like that? Like, that's basically perfection. That's freaking inspiring, dude. That was a great fight by both girls, you know what I mean, on both levels. I'm proud to get to main event a fight after such an amazing female main event last time that, you know, I, it looks like I got I to gotta put the cherry on top with the sprinkles. All right, Jessica, well, we look forward to watching you do that at the main event yourself, Cynthia Calvillo. It's this weekend. You can see it on TSN in Canada. Really appreciate your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much.